Okay, I'll admit it. In this series, I've been talking about French operas exclusively. First, I talked about Poulenc's Dialogue of the Carmelites, and last time I took on Massenet's Thais. This time I thought I was doing better by choosing a more popular opera, only to notice that it was also written by a Frenchman, Georges Bizet. I promised to talk about an Italian opera one of these days. However, Carmen it is, and Carmen it shall remain. Uh, the music from this opera is famous. Almost every number has appeared in at least one movie, TV show, or cartoon. It's been lampooned and reimagined in different settings, times, and places, including a parachute factory during World War II in which the title character must choose between a soldier and a heavyweight prize fighter. My focus, however, is on the religious themes I find in the opera, which Bizet, his librettist, or the author of the source material, uh, whether they intended it or not. George Bizet lived from 1838 to 1875. He was viewed as a promising young composer when he entered the Paris Conservatory at the age of 10. He won prizes and was an accomplished pianist and singer, but sadly in his day, Bizet did not make much of an impression. Even today, aside from Carmen, precious few of his works get performed. Uh, there's a symphony that he wrote when he was in school, the uh, Larisienne Suite, and another opera, The Pearl Fishers, uh, most, uh, were most notably. In fact, at its premiere, Carmen was roundly considered a huge flop. Bizet died three months after the premiere, never knowing what an enduring masterpiece he had created. The opera is based upon a novel, coincidentally entitled Carmen, by the French author Prosper Merimi. No, I'm not proposing, that's his name. Merimi's story is much darker and more sinister than the libretto of Carmen. While studying in Italy, it appears Bizet read a lot of Merimi's works, and Bizet teamed up with two men who were writing a lot of libretti for other composers at the time, like Jacques Offenbach. They added, deleted, and amped up characters from Merimi's novel, making the whole thing the classic story we have today. Uh, the original novel is told mostly by José himself just before his execution for having killed Carmen. For our purposes, I will focus on four characters, Carmen, Don José, Micaela, and Escamillo. In the original story, Micaela doesn't even exist, and Escamillo was a minor character, a picador named Louis. Also, Carmen was married to a man named Garcia, whom José also killed. Uh, as I said, the two librettists who helped Bizet with his opera made the two leading characters much more sympathetic. Bizet's story begins in the Spanish city of Seville in 1820. The story involves a band of smugglers with which Carmen has some connection. Supposedly, the smugglers are helping the war effort, whatever that might be. Uh, most recent productions of Carmen prefer to set the action against the backdrop of the Spanish Civil War of the 1930s. The Minnesota Opera's most recent production set the action in 1970s Spain during the period between Franco's death and Juan Carlos' ascendance to the throne. I saw that production and it was fun to watch the chorus disco dancing during the beginning of Act Two. The opera begins with a prelude containing some of the show's most famous music, there's the prelude that actually comes 
uh, that opens that uh, the opens the beginning, but is uh, sounded again at the beginning of Act Four. And the Toreador song, which we hear in Act Two. So uh, these uh, motifs are used to uh, get us settled into the music, and also the prelude ends with what's called the fate motif. It's a motif that will show up from time to time, uh, warning us that something awful is about to happen. Well, it's an opera, so of course something awful is going to happen, so I suppose we should be thankful for the musical heads up. Act one begins with a bunch of soldiers sitting around outside of their barracks, staring at the crowd. They sing, in the square all sorts of funny kinds of people come and go. One of the soldiers adds, at the guardhouse door to kill time, we smoke, gossip, and watch the passers-by. Yep, military life hasn't changed much between Bizet's time to my years in the army. Into this languid scene comes Mikaela, a peasant girl from the country with a blue dress and braided hair, the absolute picture of purity and innocence. She is in search of Don Jose, a corporal in the regiment. Mikaela asks if he's around and is told he's due to go on duty at the next changing of the guard. The soldiers invite her to hang out with them until she arrives. Mikaela knows better than to hang out in the barracks with a bunch of bored soldiers. Yep, military life hasn't changed much between Bizet's time to my years in the army. So Mikaela wisely says she'll come back later and makes good her escape. The soldiers go back to people watching. Smoke them if you got them. The character of Mikaela is a lovely addition to the original story. Her name, of course, is the feminine form of Michael, reminiscent of the mighty archangel. The librettists go out of their way to mention that she wears a blue dress, blue being the color of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and that she has braided hair, like an innocent young maiden. To me, then, she represents the Blessed Virgin Mary. Actually, she resembles an archangel bearing a message from Don Jose's mother. She's the representation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Micaela shows up only a couple of times in the opera, but when she does, she always seems to be the voice of heaven, trying to recall Jose back from the edge of damnation. In fact, her music is quaint and folksy. Some critics accused Bizet of sounding too much like his contemporary, Charles Gounod, the fellow who wrote Romeo and Juliet, and the piece that would become forever associated with Alfred Hitchcock, the funeral march for a marionette. So I'm asking you, is that such a bad thing? Well, there are a couple of things to point out before we go on. First, Carmen was composed as an opera comique, which would be translated today probably comic opera. Well, there isn't much in Carmen that anyone would consider comic. However, the name identifies the format of the opera, sung pieces that are strung together by spoken dialogue. 
Apparently, the French found this sort of thing amusing, so I got the name Opera Comique. Uh, the first recording of Carmen I owned had spoken dialogue between the musical numbers, which leads me to my second point. Just before Bizet's death, he signed a contract with the Vienna Court Opera to stage a production of Carmen. The Austrians, however, don't find anything amusing about spoken dialogue between numbers. So a friend of Bizet composed sung recitatives to replace the spoken bits. Most current productions I have seen still use the recitatives. Well, back to the story. The next bit of action is, I think, a nifty piece of stagecraft. The new company of soldiers arrives for the changing of the guard. They're teased and parodied by the children of the town. We march with our heads erect like little soldiers, they sing, our shoulders back, our chests sticking out, and our arms stiff at our sides. Blow out loud trumpets. Ta-ra-ta-ta, ta-ra-ta-ta. The imitation of the trumpets that these children make will be used by Carmen to mock Jose, as we shall see. What makes this little scene so nifty is that these children, free spirits with the joy and vitality of youth, are making fun of the stiff discipline of the soldiers. In a way, the children foreshadow the free-spirited Carmen. They look foolish behaving like soldiers, just as Jose, the innocent boy from the country, looks foolish trying to woo the freewheeling Carmen. Don Jose, or Jose, as the Spanish would say, is a young man from the country. He has his mind set on marrying Micaela, so he doesn't have time to think about other women. When his commanding officer, Lieutenant Zuniga, asks whether the local girls who work at the cigarette factory are pretty, Jose says, Sir, I know nothing about that, and I don't concern myself with those gallantries. As for the factory girls and for their beauty, there they are, judge for yourselves. He's not interested in local beauties and minds his own business. As, in tr as is true in all operas, if he had just stuck to his last and stayed focused on Micaela, he probably would have lived a long, happy life, and there would be no story to tell. Enter the women from the cigarette factory. The soldiers express their feeling for the ladies, look at them, impudent glances, saucy airs, all of them puffing away at a cigarette. These women are clearly not interested in the attention of the menfolk. They have all become a bit jaded and disillusioned by love. Lovers soft talk, they sing, it's smoke. Their raptures and promises, it's smoke. But Carmen is not seen with the rest of the workers, and the men become impatient, and they demand that she come out. Carmen arrives, carrying some flowers. She's intrigued by the man who isn't behaving like the rest of the love-stricken crowd. Carmen now sings her famous Habanierna, uh, the song which uh, was actually written, the music was written by a Spanish composer, Sebastian Irendier. Uh, Bizet came across it, and he thought it was a folk tune, so he pilfered it, adding his own musical touches. But when the truth was pointed out to Bizet, he gave the true composer credit in the score. Carmen sings, Love is a rebellious bird that no one can tame, and it's quite useless to call him if it suits him to refuse. Nothing moves him, neither threat nor plea. Love is a gypsy child. He has never heard of law. If you don't love me, I love you. If I love you, look out for yourself. As often happens in opera, Carmen sings a song that tells us everything we need to know about her. She sings, Prends garde à toi. 
this beautiful French, is a way of saying, look out for yourself. Of course, Jose doesn't listen to Carmen's warning and go about his business, which would leave us with no story. Carmen tosses one of her flowers at him. In the current Metropolitan Opera productions, she takes the flower and pretends to stab him with it. I like the imagery because it hearkens to the Toreador Escamillo and the role he will play later on. In fact, I see the whole opera as a great big bullfight. The relationship between Jose and Carmen becomes a contest of wills. Like Toreador and Bull, each of them seems to take turns playing the bull, but in the end, only one will leave the arena alive. Jose is smitten. He says, what looks, what brazen impotence. That flower had the effect of a bullet striking me. Its scent is strong, and it's a pretty flower. And the woman, if there really are witches, she's certainly one. Prends garde à toi, José. Just then, divine providence, like the cavalry, comes to the rescue, and Micaela returns. José quickly hides Carmen's flower inside his shirt, next to his heart, hint, hint, and turns his attention to his girlfriend. Micaela, the angel that she is, comes with a message from Jose's mother. In her lovely aria, she sings, Your mother and I were coming out of the chapel, and then, as she kissed me, You will go to town, she said. It's not far. Once in Seville, you'll seek out my son, my Jose, my boy, and you'll tell him that his mother thinks night and day of her absent one, that she grieves and hopes, that she forgives and waits. All that, little one, you'll tell him from me, won't you? And this kiss that I am giving you, you'll give him from me. What kind of wicked son would not be moved by such tender words from his mother? All is forgiven, please come home. The fact that Jose's mother meets Micaela coming out of the chapel and all that follows leaves you feeling like heaven itself has opened up and is pouring out merciful rays upon Jose. He sings, who knows into what demon's clutches I was about to fall. Even from afar, my mother protects me, and this kiss she sent me wards off the peril and saves her son. You tell me this isn't a clear allusion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Micaela leaves and Jose reflects, Never fear, mother, your son will obey you and will do as you say. I love Micaela, and I shall take her for my wife. As for your flowers, filthy witch. Jose pulls out the flower from his shirt and is about to tear it up when all of a sudden a fight breaks out at the cigarette factory. Carmen and another woman have gotten into a fight. It appears the other woman was boasting about a donkey she purchased. Carmen chided her, a donkey, what for? A broom will do for you. The two got into a tussle and Carmen cut the other woman's cheek with a knife. The soldiers take Carmen into custody, and the lieutenant orders Jose to keep an eye on her. Oh boy. Carmen asks if Jose will help her escape. He dismisses the notion, but Carmen says that he'll do it because he's in love with her. Jose scoffs at the idea, and Carmen sings, Yes, Jose, the flower I made you a present of, you know, the witch's flower. You can throw it away now. The spell is working. She then goes on to tempt Jose. If he lets her go, they will pretend it's an accident. She will meet him at a tavern outside the walls of the city owned by her friend Lilas Pastia. 
The more Carmen sings, the more José, his resolve is undermined until he consents. The first act ends with José untying Carmen's hands. As she is being led away, she pushes José down and makes her escape. Unfortunately, the lieutenant does not look kindly upon José's apparent blunder, and the helpless corporal is arrested for allowing his prisoner to escape. Act two takes place at the tavern of Lila's Pastia. Carmen and her friends entertain the crowd with a wild gypsy song and dance. It should be noted here that gypsies, or Romani, had a pretty bad reputation in Bizet's day. Remember in Carmen's first aria, the Habanera, she sings, Love is a gypsy child and has never heard of law? Well, you get the idea. At the end of the song and dance, everyone is told it's closing time, but who should arrive but the great Toreador Escamillo? He uh, sings at this point the famous Toreador song, and uh, of course it's one of the most famous parts of the show, so it can easily be tossed aside. However, I think it serves as another premonition of things to come. Escamillo sings, No more shouts, this is the moment. The bull comes bounding out of his toril. He charges, comes in, strikes. A horse rolls over, dragging down a picador. Ah, bravo bull, roars the crowd. The bull turns, comes back, comes back and strikes again. Shaking his banderillas, maddened with rage, he runs about. The ring is covered with blood. Men jump clear, leap the barriers. It's your turn now. Then he sings the chorus, Toreador on guard. And remember, yes, remember as you fight, that two dark eyes are watching you, that love awaits you. Toreador, love awaits you. As we shall see, the final act of Carmen takes place outside of the bullfighting arena. The drama in the bullring Escamillo has just described will be played out between Carmen and Jose. Carmen and Escamillo flirt for a little bit, and then he leaves with the rest of the crowd. Carmen and her two friends are joined by a pair of smugglers, Don Caire and Remendado. They want the three women to join them on a smuggling caper. The quintet that comes at this point is a great highlight of the opera and always puts a smile on my face. Carmen says she can't join them because she's in love with Jose, who has just been released after a few days in military jail for following her escape. The others suggest that Carmen convince Jose to join them. She promises to see what she can do. Jose enters, and Carmen begins to seduce him by singing and dancing for him. During her song, the trumpet call from the barracks announces that Jose needs to return for roll call. Carmen mocks him and accuses him of not loving her. He denies this, but the trumpet call makes him anxious to leave. Carmen taunts, to quarters for roll call. Ah, really, I was too stupid. I went out of my way and took the trouble. Yes, took the trouble to entertain the gentleman. I sang, I danced. I believe, God forgive me, I almost fell in love. Tarantata, it's the bugle sounding. Tarantata, he's off, he's gone. He loses his wits, he rushes off, and that's his love. Carmen's taunts infuriate Jose. Carmen tells him, if you really love me, you'll join me away over there in the mountains. She's suggesting that Jose should desert. He exclaims, ah, stop, stop, no, I won't listen to you. To abandon my colors, to desert? That's shameful, that's dastardly. I'll have none of it. Jose is just about to leave in despair when there is a knock at the tavern door. 
Jose's commander, Lieutenant Zuniga, has come back for an after-hours appointment with Carmen. He enters and sees Jose, whom he orders to leave. Jose refuses, and a fight between the two men ensues. Dancare and Remendado hear the racket and come into the room. They tie up Zuniga, and now Jose has no choice than to join the smugglers. The act ends with the smugglers saluting the life of freedom that awaits them in the mountains, the open sky, the wandering life, the whole wide world your domain, your own free will for law, and above all that intoxicating thing, freedom, freedom. Let's consider Jose's descent. <clears throat> In Act 1, his focus on Micaela is turned toward Carmen. In exchange for her freedom, she promises him love and romance at her friend's tavern. The result, he spends some time in jail for dereliction of duty. In Act 2, we find out Jose has kept Carmen's flower with him in jail as a source of comfort. Now that he is free from his cell, he makes his way to that promised rendezvous with Carmen. The result? Now he is a deserter and he's compelled to join Carmen and the gang as a criminal in the mountains where it's the open sky, the wandering life, the whole wide world your domain, your own free will for law, and above all that, intoxicating thing, freedom, freedom. Yeah, right. Act 3 takes place in the mountains. Things between Carmen and Jose have grown as cold as the snow-covered slopes we see on stage. Jose gazes down the mountains, lamenting, I'm telling myself that down there lives a good and kindly old lady who believes me to be an honest man. Alas, she is mistaken. Of course, the kind old lady is Jose's mother. Carmen chides him, Well then, go and find her right away. Our calling, you see, means nothing to you and you would do very well to leave us as you can. Carmen's taunt is actually a reasonable suggestion. Yes, Jose, get out of there. Go back to your mother. The virtue of hope is a wonderful thing. It builds upon the virtue of faith like a tree's trunk springs from its roots. Faith teaches us that union with God is not only possible, God desires it for us. Hope steps in and energizes our faith. Union with God is attainable through our cooperation with his grace, but that union also requires effort. Presumption is the sin that seeks the softer, easier way. Despair is the sin that declares union with God is impossible. Here we see Jose convinced he has fallen so far that even his own mother won't take him back. His response is a common one. Well, I made a pretty good mess of things. There's no way God will ever forgive me now. I might as well just keep going along my sinful path. Carmen tells Jose to go home, and he says, What, and leave you? It hurts to admit we were wrong. It also hurts to give up things we've become attached to, even though we know it's not doing us any favors. The question becomes, which pain is more intolerable? Grace is always ready to endure the pain our selfishness feels when we humbly admit our faults. Well, while Jose broods in the corner, Carmen and her friends attempt to read their future in the cards. In literature, fortune-telling is one of those mysterious things associated with gypsies. Also, I suppose, reading what future is in the cards is easier than trying to lug a crystal ball through the mountains without breaking it. Uh, here, though, we get some insight into Carmen's worldview. She believes everything is preordained, so she doesn't really have any control over her future. 
All she can do is enjoy the moment. She sings, in vain to avoid bitter replies, in vain will you shuffle. That achieves nothing. The cards are truthful and will not lie. If your page in the book up above is a happy one, shuffle and cut without fear. The card under your fingers will turn up nicely for telling good luck. But if you are to die, if the terrible word has been written by destiny, begin 20 times, the pitiless card will repeat death again, always death. For Carmen, freedom simply means to do whatever you want to do because destiny has the last word. So how free are we really? The Christian understanding of the human person does not consign humanity to destiny. Free will, rather than simply the ability to do whatever we choose, is the ability to seek and deepen our union with God free from those things that would restrain us. Carmen's view of human life is godless. For me, this is the moment when Carmen sounds more animal-like and Jose's insistence on remaining with her displays his loss of the sense of his humanity. Don Caire arrives and informs, and informs the women that there is a customs official who needs some distracting while they smuggle some things past him. Carmen leads the way, singing the rousing chorus, As for the customs man, he's our affair, just like the next man he loves to please. He loves to play the gallant. Ah, leave us to go on ahead. The band of smugglers leave. At this point, a mountain guide enters, leading Micaela to the place she can find the smugglers. She's in search of Jose to tell him that his mother is dying. In this tender and touching aria, she sings, Alone in this wild place, all alone, I'm afraid. But I do wrong to be afraid. You will give me courage. You will protect me, Lord. I shall get a close look at this woman whose evil wiles have finished by making a criminal of the man I once loved. She is dangerous, she is beautiful, but I won't be afraid. I shall speak out in front of her. Ah, Lord, you will protect me. Once again, Micaela is that radiant beam of heavenly light endeavoring to shine upon Jose. However, before she can find him, a shot rings out and she hides among the rocks. Escamillo and Jose arrive on stage together, Escamillo is leading his herd of bulls to the bullfights in Seville, and José shot at him as an intruder. José asks Escamillo's business. The Toreador is looking for Carmen. He states, She had as a lover a soldier who once deserted on her account. They adored each other, but it's over, I think. Carmen's affairs don't last six months. José, of course, is the soldier he's talking about. Jose is surprised that Escamillo would fall in love with someone who is so fickle. Nevertheless, his pride is wounded, and he challenges the bullfighter to a knife fight. Escamillo and Carmen seem pretty well suited. Bullfighting is a dangerous business, so Escamillo's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow ye shall die attitude makes sense in its own fatalistic way. Anyway, the two men engage in a knife battle, which is interrupted by the return of the smugglers. Escamillo invites all who love him, wink, wink, to Carmen, to the bullfights, and he makes his exit. Just then, Remendado discovers Micaela and pulls her out of hiding. She implores Jose to come home. I've come looking for you. Down there is the cottage where, praying unceasingly, a mother, your mother, weeps, alas, 
for her son. She weeps and calls you. She weeps and holds out her arms to you. You will take pity on her, Jose. Ah, Jose, you will come with me. Nope, nothing doing. Jose tells Carmen that she will love him and that he will, be that he will bend her to his will. Well, we know how successful a plan that always turns out to be. In the face of Jose's refusal, Micaela makes her final plea. One word more. This will be the last. Alas, Jose, your mother is dying, and she doesn't want to die without having forgiven you. That clinches it for Jose. He agrees to return home with Micaela, and the act ends with a final rousing chorus of the Toreador song. Act 4 takes place outside the bullring in Seville. The atmosphere is charged with excitement in anticipation of the day's festivities. Vendors are peddling their goods as the crowd prepares to enter the arena. At this point, the brilliant and eye-dazzling procession of the bullfighting personnel begins. The music is festive, and the costumes are blazingly colorful. During the procession, we're introduced to the different groups of people who participate in the fight. Banderilleros, picadors, and matadors. At this point, I want to consider the bullfight. Ernest Hemingway wrote a wonderful treatise on the subject, Death in the Afternoon. His description of the bullfight is a fitting metaphor for this opera. Hemingway regarded the bullfight not as a tragedy bull for the bull, although indeed the bull dies usually in the end, but it's an opportunity for the bull to demonstrate its power and dignity in, way, in some ways it's considered a glorifying of the animal, even in death. The human participants must weaken the bull before they dare confront it directly. Therefore, there are several steps that occur before the matador steps in. First, there is the initial sizing up of the animal. The bull enters the ring, and one of the assistant matadors flourishes a cape, making the bull charge so the matador can study its behavior. Next, the picadors ride in on horses, poking the bull with their lances. Not only does the bull begin to lose blood, the picadors try to pierce the large, powerful neck muscle, the morillo. Next, the banderilleros place their bandilleras uh, into the same neck muscle. These barbed sticks will affect how the bull uses its horns and how it maneuvers. Finally, the matador comes in and, after provoking the bull to charge and pass a few times, positions the animal in such a way he can plunge his sword into it and kill it. Let's set aside any discussion about animal cruelty and the morality of bullfighting for a moment. It is, it is what it is, and in the opera Carmen, the whole bullfighting ceremony is reflected in the drama. First, Jose, like the bull entering the arena, is carefree and confident. He has Micaela, and he has no interest in other women. Suddenly, Carmen, like a picador, wounds him with the flowers she throws at his feet. Then Jose's will is broken as Carmen and the smugglers, like the bandolieros, take charge of Jose's future, a deserter and a smuggler. Finally, in this final act, Carmen and Jose have their final confrontation. But who is the matador and who the bull? Carmen is warned that Jose has been seen lurking in the crowd. She is unafraid. Remember, destiny is all that matters. If she dies today, so what? She dies free. Right. 
The final confrontation is punctuated by cheers from inside the arena. Jose makes his final appeal, and Carmen asserts that she is free and no longer loves him. Just then, the crowd cheers, hurrah, hurrah, a grand fight, hurrah. Across the blood-stained sand, the bull charges, look, look, look. The tormented bull comes bounding to the attack, look, struck true, right to the heart, look, 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 victory. Carmen moves to leave, but Jose prevents her, brandishing his knife. The crowd continues to cheer. Carmen takes a ring from her finger. She says, this ring that you once gave to me, here, take it. With that, she throws it away. Enraged, Jose rushes forward and stabs Carmen. Victorious in the bullring, Escamillo comes out of the arena, accompanied by the cheering crowd. Jose says simply, you can arrest me. I was the one who killed her. Ah, Carmen, my adored Carmen. Curtain. There are many reasons why I really love this opera. The drama is easy to understand. The music is catchy and quite charming. Of all the operas, this is the one I would use to introduce a newcomer to the genre. For me, understanding bullfighting and Catholic theology makes watching Carmen all the more entertaining. I hope you've enjoyed this talk, and the next time you go to see Carmen, I hope these reflections will make the experience more entertaining for you. Until then, point garde à toi.